0: our series in the Gospel of Luke. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire, And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Open our hearts to receive your word. May we understand it. May we believe it. May we apply it. And above all, Lord, show us Christ in this text. May we meet his gaze as we hear him speaking in the scriptures. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There was a Chinese pastor named Wang Mingdao. He's a familiar name, if you know anything about uh, Chinese missionary history. He was a Chinese preacher who served the church during the early days of the communist regime and its crackdowns. And it happened that at the time, one of one of the first kinds of peoples that the communist government went for was pastors of the church. Because if they could control the kind of speech, the message that pastors are preaching, then then really they have the people in their hands, don't they? The communist government wanted to stifle, especially those core truths that we profess in the Nicene Creed, that Jesus was truly God, that he was born of a virgin, that there is life after death. And with their Communist materialism, they pressed in on this pastor, Wang Ming Dao, and he resisted boldly. Strongly, for many years. Until they showed up and they imprisoned him, and they imprisoned his wife, and through torture and pressure, this bold pastor finally caved. He cracked. He signed a false confession. He agreed to preach for the communist regime that he that he hated, and he went out into the streets to find his wife. After being let out of prison, his hands unbound, uh, unbound, and he walked through the streets weeping and saying, "I am Peter. I am Peter." Fitting words from Pastor Ming Dao because his story reminds me of Peter's story. Not just in one way. We're going to return to his story by the end of this sermon. So keep it in the back of your mind. I am Peter. I am Peter. I'm one who has denied the Lord. Denied the very one who bought me, the one I love. Ming Dao's story is familiar. Peter's story is familiar because we ourselves know what it is to fail the Lord in grievous ways. If you don't know that yet, you may know it by the end of your Christian life. And certainly, you know, in, in this day and age of very public scandals where those people that we propped up as heroes in the church have failed us and have let the church down. And have made our hearts sink because of their failures and their denials of the Lord and of the faith. I want to look at Peter's plunge. His failure. I want us to see in this text, which it's a it's a hard text, right? It's one that we're familiar with. We know about the rooster crowing. We know about Peter. But when we really look at this text and reach for all those different things that we see about Peter and the whole rest of Scripture, I think what we see is not only a picture of tragedy, but one of hope. So let's dive in and let's let's see this story unfold as we see it in light of the gospel. But it does begin with tragedy. It begins with a, a plunge. A plunge from from great heights all the way to deep denial. We have to say this about Peter Here's here's one good thing we can say about him in this text. He follows Jesus. Now, everyone else has has abandoned Jesus at this point. The disciples have scattered and they're running for their life. They're scared because Jesus has just been falsely um, brought, arrested, and is being brought for trial at the house of the high high priest Caiaphas. And Jesus is being dragged there. Not dragged because he goes willingly, uh, but he is being brought to the, the house of the high priest. And Peter alone follows but notice he follows at a distance. Only at a distance. And it's possible, I think, that we hear in that that there's something that is keeping Peter at arm's length from the Savior. And it will soon be the source of an epic fail, a plunge from great heights. You, you, you heard about Peter's denial, his plunge in this, in this text. He fails repeatedly. He fails boldly. He fails tragically. He fails just as Jesus had said. What did Jesus say? You look back at verse 34 of this same chapter. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. We hear of each of those. Denials. The first one comes from a servant girl. You know, a little girl comes up. She's, she's working at Caiaphas' house um, as a doorkeeper. And she comes up and she tugs on Peter's pant leg maybe and says, Hey, weren't you with Jesus? And right away, it's like, it's like it takes him a second. He cracks. Woman, I do not know him. A little bit later, a man comes up. Okay, I think that girl's on to something. You, you were with those other disciples. Peter, right away, denies not only the Lord, but now his fellowship with the saints, his fellowship with the other disciples. I'm not with them. I'm not one of them. Finally, a man comes up, and you can hear how he intensifies it. You know, I am sure of this that you are one of Jesus's disciples because your accent is from the north. You must have been coming here to Jerusalem with this man, Jesus. And so here's Peter in the light of the fire, just as the pressure is heating up, you, know, you can almost you know, feel him getting warm from the fire. And just as, as the pressure uh, from, from these people heats up in the courtyard, he cracks a third time. I don't even know what you are talking about. A third and most tragic denial. You know, this is the sifting that Jesus warned him was gonna happen from from Satan. Three siftings just rock through Peter's soul and shake him up. And it's like, what, what what did Satan say? He wanted to show that Peter was nothing but chaff that would blow away in the wind. What we're seeing is that there's a real truth to that. Peter, when Satan comes knocking, is like like nothing, like chaff that's blown away out of of the hands. And it's at the moment of that third and final sifting and, and Peter's third and final denial that three events lock in place right at the right time. You know, it's like you see all the wheels are turning and they just click. And what are those three events? First, is that the rooster crows. Second, that Jesus looks at Peter. Now, Jesus must somehow be in eyesight of Peter. Maybe he's, you know, being moved at this moment from um, one one area of the palace to another um, and he's being transported. But at that moment, he turns and he locks eyes with Peter. Now, what a look that must have been. Because as soon as Jesus's eyes meet Peter, the third and final event happens that Peter realizes what's happened. He's denied his savior, just as his savior said he would do and his heart sinks deep within him. Have you ever felt that kind of, that that feeling when you realize that you have messed up and, and there is no going back? You can't turn back time. You can't fix this. You've been complicit in something that is awful. You know, it's kind of like the feeling that you get when you're on the roller coaster and you just drop. You know, and um, it's not it's not a fun thing like a roller coaster. When Peter denied the Savior, it, it's it's like his very life fell through his fingers. And I, I, I I know because he weeps bitterly. He wishes he could go back. He wishes he could undo undo all of this, but he can't. It's gone. It's done. It's like he's put three nails into his Savior through his three denials, nailing him to the cross. How could you do that, Peter? You're supposed to be the rock who confesses Christ. You're supposed to be the one who stands strong and, and boldly uh, professes the faith. Instead, Peter's like a jelly, a jellyfish. That's how one commentator puts it. He's not a rock man. He's a jellyfish that just you know, gets all squishy as soon as pressure from Satan heats up. How could Peter do that? Well, let me point you to two, two ways in which this happens. First of all, Peter fails tragically. He plunges from the heights. First of all, because Peter isn't afraid enough. He's not scared enough of himself. Peter isn't afraid enough of the kind of damage that he can personally do to to Christ and his church. He's overconfident to a fault. And we've seen this over and over again with Peter. He's the one who, you know, in the right circumstance, he steps up and um, he says, Lord, I will go with you all the way to death. I will confess you all the way to my death. And here he is. Um, Clearly, he's not prepared for that. He's overconfident. He has no idea that his sins and his failures and and his sifting can bring great damage to a church. I mean, imagine what as the news goes out and spreads across Jerusalem. Even Jesus, uh, uh, even Peter denied Jesus. And suddenly everyone who is putting hope in the Savior says. Then he must not be who he thought he was. If even Peter denied him. So Peter wasn't afraid enough of himself. And and his. The damage that he could do. And I wonder. I wonder if we resonate with that. Right. If we resonate with a kind of overconfidence. Where we say. Lord. That would never be me. Maybe. Maybe we even think that as we read about Peter. You know. Oh. Foolish Peter, he always messes up. I would never do that. Until you're in the hot seat and the pressure heats up. Until you're right next to the fire and it gets hot and the sifting begins. We have to be aware of the kind of failure that we can plunge into. Because if we're not, that's at that very moment, that's when we're most susceptible to doing damage to our brothers and sisters. And there's a second reason why Peter fell, why he fell, why he plunged from these heights. And it's that Peter was too afraid. First of all, he's not afraid enough of himself, but he's also too afraid of people and the damage that they could do to him. Peter is a classic people pleaser. Maybe you can resonate with him in this. You know, he, he talks the talk, but as soon as he's put in... Um, in a uh, not so good company. As soon as he's sitting around all the people that arrested Jesus, then he suddenly turns into a very different kind of person. And it's very hard for him to speak a word for the savior. In fact, look at who makes him crack. It's, it's a little servant girl. All it takes is a little child to come up and to put pressure on Peter. And suddenly He's saying, okay, I, I don't know him. I don't know the Savior. This is fear of man, just raw, right in front of us. Peter is, he is to his core afraid of what other people will think of him. He is afraid of what other people could do to him if, if they found out that he was associated with Jesus. Now, I wonder if that connects with you. Because. When I think of of some of the tough situations I've been put in, I feel, I think, what something like what Peter felt. You know, when you're in college class and, um, you know, maybe uh, the the professor is teaching um, on something that we don't we don't agree with as Christians. Maybe the professor is questioning the authority of the scriptures and teaching that they're just another man made document and then. And then he says, does anyone disagree with me here? You know, and then the the difficulty it is to raise your hand and say, I believe the scriptures. I believe Jesus was the son of God. And to do that, to feel everyone's eyes beaming on you and you feel that heat, right? I mean, and and then transport that to, to a party, you know, leave the college classroom and go to a party when, you know, you're under the pressure and, you know, people are passing around drinks and you know you shouldn't. And people are are, are cursing and and uh, just the way that they're acting. You know, you shouldn't act that way because it betrays your, your identity with the Savior. And yet you feel the pressure and you start to cave in and, and you start to act like them. Why? Because you want to please people. Because you don't want the damage to your reputation or, or the kind of heat that comes upon you when you really live as someone who identifies with Jesus. That's what Peter felt. And friends, there's all kinds of different ways in which this plays out with family and friends and classrooms and professors. But I mean, look, it's the same thing. It's fear of man that we wrestle with. We're so much like Peter. Peter. Pride, fear of man, rattling our souls. Our heroes are so much like Peter. We put them up on a pedestal, we make celebrities in the church, and we tell ourselves that they'd never crack and But friends, we have to realize that all of us and them they're they're more like Peter than we want to admit. They're fragile. Apart from the, the Savior's preservation. Even the greatest plunges can happen. Why is this here? Why is this passage here? You know, I've asked myself that. And I, I, told, I told some of you at home group this past week that that's an excellent question to ask as you're starting to wonder, you know, work from studying scripture to application of scripture. Why, why did God put this here for us? Why did he interrupt The narrative of Christ's betrayal and crucifixion with this focus, this spotlight that goes on Peter. And yes, I think a big part of it is just showing the depths to which Christ was betrayed, how he became the man of Psalm 88, where darkness was his only friend and everyone else had abandoned him. But I think this this text is also here because it's real. It was real for Peter. The pressure was real for Peter. The pride was real for Peter. And it's real for us. And God wants us to encounter real things in the scripture that meet us where we're at. Failure in the Christian life is real. It is something to avoid and to strive with all of our hearts. To turn from and to obey the Lord. But but failure happens. And God wants us to see what can happen when we fall like Peter, when we plunge from the heights that we thought we were so firmly planted on. He wants us to see because it's real. And so is Peter's rise from these depths of despair. What is just as real is Peter's plunge from... From the heights of confidence and assurance is also Peter's rise from these depths where he slowly but surely starts to get his footing again. And we see that here in the passage. The Lord's faithfulness is on full display in this text, because remember what we heard that even while Peter denies the Lord, his savior is turning the page on Peter's story. There's another page that is written in the Lord's book and. Just like uh, the Savior said back in verse 32. What did Jesus say? He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, here's God's grace to Peter. In this failure and people-pleasing disaster. That God is using this failure to make Peter into a new man. And he does that, first of all, with a look in verse 61. Let's go back to that look. That look of the Savior that must have been filled with pain and disappointment and concern. That one of jesus's closest companions would deny him you have to know that would just pierce the savior and there's pain across his face but you also have to realize that jesus had his eyes fixed on peter in a moment that was one of the most tragic times of the savior's life now think about this jesus is in the middle of being grilled and mocked and unfairly treated and yet when it really matters, Jesus has his eyes locked on Peter. It had to be a look as well of concern. Concern for this disciple and, and care for him and compassion that met this that met Peter's gaze. He looks at Peter and suddenly, this is the, the grace and the mercy of God to, to, to failing and struggling Peter, that suddenly. uh, He remembers the word of the Lord. Everything that Jesus already told him. When Jesus said, you're going to fail, Peter. That's going to happen. But you're not going to fall away from the faith. I'm going to hold on to you. You're going to fail. But I'm going to preserve you. And I'm going to make you a leader in the church through your failure. Not despite your failure, but through it. All of that comes flooding back to Peter and that look from the Savior is the very thing he needs to take a step of faithfulness at that moment of utter disappointment in himself. Do you see that? Now, friends, Jesus doesn't descend from heaven and stare us in the face today when we fail. But he does meet our gaze through his word. Through the promises in his word, through the eyes of the servants that he sent. You know, sometimes you say, you know, pastor, sometimes it feels like you're preaching right at me. You know, sometimes it feels like you put your eyes on me and you've touched something in my heart. I don't think that's so much me. I think that's the Savior who's, who's appointed me to speak his word to you. And he fixes his eyes on you. And he touches your heart with his word. And that is a personal gaze from your savior. And it's a mercy to you so that you don't wallow in your failure or you don't go on to greater disappointment to him. But instead, at that moment, you remember everything he has already said to you and it comes flooding into your mind. And you say, "Okay, Jesus, you have my attention. Okay, I know you love me. Let's start there. That's why you must, must. you hear that? Put yourself under the means of grace. That's why you must join together to the fellowship of believers regularly. That's why you must go to your God in prayer. Come to the Lord's table as one believing in him. It's because... All of these different things, and especially the preaching of the word, sitting under the preaching of the word. They are there by Jesus to stop you in your sin, to break you of your pride and to convict you so that so that he can work in you a kind of tenderness that he worked in Peter, a kind of tenderness to his grace and his word. Friends, there is all kinds of hope for you. When you're under the means of grace, under the things that Jesus has set up, there's all kinds of hope for you that even if you should plunge from the heights that Jesus has set you on, that he will not let you fall through the cracks, but he will preserve you and he will even use your failure to make you more faithful. And that's what we see happen to Peter when his tears start flowing. What are these tears about? You know, we we hear the the passage, and he wept bitterly. And that is a sad thing to hear. You know, you say, seriously, you're going to stop there? Let's keep going. Now, we have to stop at those tears. And you have to realize those aren't tears. Those aren't tears of pure remorse and nothing more. They are tears of repentance. They are tears that go somewhere. They are tears that make progress in the Christian life. He went out and wept bitterly. When Peter realizes what he's done, there's no worries about what others think. You know, there's no pandering to people around him. He's gone. He leaves that scene. He leaves the pressure and the sifting of Satan And he goes out and these are just tears of sorrow over the tragedy of his own sin. And they are tears of conviction of what he's done and they are tears of repentance. That means this, they are tears of turning away from himself and his sin and his failure and his denial and to the God who is rich and full of mercy and who promises restoration. There are two men in chapter in Luke chapter 22 who end up weeping bitterly you know who they are one is judas the deceiver the betrayer there are two men in chapter 22 who betray jesus who deny him one is judas one is peter both did great damage to our lord and, and his and to his church at this time both betrayed our savior in ways that that crush us but do you know what peter has that judas doesn't have you know what the great difference is between these men it's this that peter repented but judas didn't judas Filled with remorse, realizing what he's done after Jesus is crucified. He comes to to the chief priest and he comes with the money that he he received for betraying the Savior. He says, take it. I don't want it. And they say, we can't help you. And Judas goes out with that disappointment of what a failure he is. And he takes his own life. But Peter goes out into the night just like Judas did. Disappointed, crushed under the weight of his failure. But he goes out with his eyes fixed on the Savior and his ears ringing with his promises, and he goes out to new life, a changed man, a man with a sliver of hope that grows and grows and grows and grows. And here's really the point of all this: brothers and sisters, do you repent of your sin? Do you have a real sorrow and contrition that you that you have sinned against the Lord, that you have failed him and even in grievous ways? If so, then within your heart is not just a remorse that wallows over your failure and leads just to further failure and death. But instead, within your heart, you have the seeds to become a new person by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is that next step that Peter takes as he begins to rise from where he's fallen. And that's only something that's worked by the grace of Jesus. You need to hear, friends, that there is forgiveness for anyone who would turn away from their sins and lay a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have failed him, even if you've failed him with your sins today, do not wallow in that grief. Go to the Savior. Weep over your sins. But lay a hold of him. Because Peter wouldn't have known that, that Jesus was, had set his gaze upon him unless Peter was looking at the Savior. Are you looking at the Savior? And when we do that, when we repent of our sins and find forgiveness, full and free in the gospel, a great turn happens that God uses our brokenness, uses our failure to make us even stronger by his grace the things that we've damaged and broke apart, Jesus can restore tenfold and use to to the great progress and strength of his gospel. You see this with the brokenness of Peter, don't you? Let's flash forward to John 21 when Jesus has risen from the dead and he appears to some of his disciples and he says, gather all the disciples, bring them together to meet me. And by the way, don't forget Simon Peter. Make sure that he comes and meets with me first. Here comes Simon, coming up to Jesus, ashamed that he's denied the Savior, broken, but repentant. And Jesus says, "Simon, son of son of John, do you love me?" Peter says, "Lord, you know that I." a second time Peter Son of John do you love me Lord you know that I love you Simon son of John do you love me Yes Lord I love you then feed my sheep 3 times Jesus commissions and restores Peter, one time for each of his tragic denials. And Peter went on to strengthen a struggling church. We see that in the book of Acts as he is speaking winsome words for the Savior. As he is uh, writing in his epistles to a struggling church, a church that's under pressure from people and tempted to please um, an unbelieving world. He says, Humble yourselves. Don't be fooled by your pride. Don't fear man. Keep your eyes on the Savior. When you fall, his grace is sufficient. And friends, I can tell you all this as an apostle in Christ's church, not just because of my apostolic authority, but guess what? You know what I did. And you know how the Lord restored me. Peter went on after confessing Christ after denying Christ, to confess Christ boldly before men, even being crucified upside down by the Savior. It is possible, very possible, for those to be restored in Christ's church who have grievously sinned, it's possible because of his forgiveness. But before we even begin to talk about you know, public ministers who have brought a scandal to Christ, being put back in a place of ministry, first, we actually have to say, is the pattern of Peter there? Have those that have failed really repented? You know, in the early church, it was said that Peter couldn't hear a rooster crow without crying, without weeping. Do those who have failed before the Lord realize the depths of their failure? Are they sorrowful over that to the point that they are pained by it? We have to start there. That starts with you sitting in the pews with your your failure. It starts with me. But before we even begin to talk about reinstating those that have brought public scandal to the church, that's an issue to be taken up in the wisdom of our church courts. But before it even goes there, we have to ask, have they been broken like Peter was broken? Are they, are they willing to serve like Peter was willing to serve? Do they love the Savior? Back to that Chinese pastor, Wang Mingdao. Broken over this betrayal of Christ and what he had committed to do for the communist regime, and what he had committed to preach for them, he could not bear to compromise any longer. Publicly and boldly, he, he, he wrote to a, a, a church that was broken by his failure. And he wrote to his government and he said, I will not do this. You can kill me, but I will not do this. And after being imprisoned for perhaps a lifetime, he became known as one of the fathers of, of the Chinese house churches that now persist. Through his failure, through his struggles, the Lord did incredible things. Friends, I, I pray that you do not fail and test the Lord in that way and test true repentance in that way. But should you fail? And should you even this morning be thinking of your failure before the Lord, you should know this, that there is hope, hope in the gospel, hope in a savior who restores, who causes us to rise when we fall. Let's pray. Lord, by the power of your spirit, we pray that you would revive a church that has in many ways failed. Make us bold in our witness, no matter what the cost is. And Lord we thank you for brothers like like Ming Dao who who you caused to rise after they stumbled. May you do this in your church. And Lord, may we not know the sting of failure. But when we do, grant us the grace of repentance to rise above it. For you are greater than our sins. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.